The holiday season marks the time of year when just about everyone wishes for miracles. As 2016 ended, the book world crossed its fingers, closed its eyes, and said a quiet prayer for an upturn in sales. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, and that means Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me from New York with a review of the week's publishing news. Happy New Year, Andrew, and welcome back for our first show of 2017. Happy New Year to you, Chris. Great to be here as always. Well, indeed. So while we are all growing accustomed to saying 2017, booksellers and publishers have tallied up their business activity in the weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. You've seen the numbers, Andrew. And for Barnes & Noble, the nation's only surviving bookstore chain, the holidays weren't entirely ho, ho, ho. No, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I hope our listeners all had a nice holiday break. I know I did, but I'm not sure Barnes & Noble's holiday was quite so good. This week, the retailer reported that the 2016 holiday sales came in below expectations, with comparable store sales down 9.1% in the nine-week period that ended at the end of the year this year. That's December 31st, 2016. Uh, The retailer attributed the decline to uh, lower store traffic and, wait for it, a decrease in coloring book sales, the sales of coloring book sales, I should say, and supplies. Uh, Yes, people, it appears that the coloring book craze is finally on the wane. Uh, And while some of our more elite thinkers, or should I say elitist thinkers, uh, may celebrate the saving of our culture that that represents, uh, I would just quickly point out that those coloring books, they brought a lot of traffic into bookstores. And those shoppers who came in looking for coloring books and supplies often walked out with a regular or book or two. But as 2016 closed, there were also a few positives for Barnes & Noble, though I wouldn't exactly pin any future hopes and dreams on these trends. But Barnes & Noble officials noted that book sales outperformed the company as a whole, which, again, may not be saying much since Barnes & Noble is, after all, supposed to be you know, a bookstore. A bright spot was actually BNN.com, where sales rose about 2% during the holiday period. Again, that's not huge, but when is the last time we heard BNN.com and bright spot used in the same sentence? Uh, and despite the softer than expected sales, Barnes & Noble still expects its operating profits to be uh, higher than they were in 2015 for the full fiscal year, which of course ends in April. Although comp store sales are actually expected now to finish about 6% lower. You can read more about Barnes & Noble on the PW website and in Monday's issue. But suffice it to say, as 2017 kicks off, there's going to be a lot of questions about what this year is going to look like for Barnes & Noble, what the future in general is going to look like for Barnes & Noble, not the least of which is that we still don't know who's going to be signing the company holiday card next season. Uh, you know, After the surprise mid-year ouster of CEO Ron Boire, we have Len Riggio at the helm. And I wonder if he's just going to decide to stick around there for a while. Well, we should know soon. And another happy new year for Barnes & Noble. Amazon announced this week that it's going to open more physical retail stores, including one in New York and one in Boston, our, our two hometowns, Chris. And just what Amazon's physical store strategy is remains unclear to a lot of us, I think. But suffice it to say, It's something that Barnes & Noble is going to have to watch closely. So, as always, stay tuned. Well, you're right. You know, it looks like they did not have a great holiday there at Barnes & Noble, and maybe they're having a bit of a hangover from all of that. But how did publishers do overall? 
In general, I think it's fair to say it was pretty uneven, but by no means was it, you know, a lump of coal in the stocking for publishers, which, you know, let's be clear, that's how things were kind of shaping up in the weeks after Thanksgiving. Uh, some listeners may recall Nielsen reported that uh, unit sales of print books were down almost 6% over 2015 between Thanksgiving week and the week that ended December 18th. Uh, and even more worrisome for booksellers and publishers alike, I should add, is that that was the worst week of comp sales for the entire year, with unit sales off about 11% compared to the same week in 2015. But then a Christmas slash Hanukkah miracle, we had a really strong final push uh, at the end of December, and that actually lifted the cumulative total for the five-week holiday period for five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas and the Christmas holidays into positive territory, actually up about 1.5% over 2015, uh, and about half of those sales all came really at the very, very end of the holiday season. So uh, thank heavens for that. All right, indeed. So, so a nice rally there to save the holidays, as you say. But what about the year overall? You know, again, I think it was you know a pretty common refrain that we've heard a lot that you know 2016 it generally sucked, right? We can we can all agree on that. It was marked by a ton of celebrity deaths and terrorist attacks, and uh, you know, there was a divisive political season. And 2016 was an uphill year for everyone, and I think it was an uphill year for publishers as well. Uh, but despite you know the less than ideal book selling environment, uh, in other words, you know there were no big breakout bestsellers this year on the adult side. Uh, there was the lengthy, brutal election season. During that season, it was virtually impossible for books to get any sort of coverage in the media with all the coverage of the candidates going on. But with all that going on, units of print books actually finished slightly up for 2016 over 2015. And that marks the third straight year of growth. Uh, these are figures according to Nielsen BookScan, which checks about you know 80% of print unit sales in the US. Ebook sales, of course, continue their slide. But for now, publishers don't seem to be all too concerned with that. In Monday's issue of PW, uh, we're going to have more on these final numbers uh, for 2016. But for now, I think we can say that it's up slightly, and I think that's better than the alternative. Uh, and with a new administration set to get to work in Washington, first half of 2017, I think is going to be one to watch for publishers uh, on a number of fronts. Well, well, indeed. And, and, you know, obviously politics much on the mind of everyone as we approach the inauguration later this month. And uh, we have a couple of controversial politically themed books that have been announced. And they're sort of uh, interesting tales for the state of publishing today and how it acquires books and what publishers do once they get them. So on the one side, a deal with the founder of Pantsuit Nation, uh, Libby Chamberlain, uh, generated quite a little bit of heat. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, so no doubt many of our listeners are familiar with the Hillary Clinton-inspired Facebook group called Pantsuit Nation. It was started by a New Hampshire woman named Libby Chamberlain. And the group, which is invitation-only, now numbers almost 4 million members. Uh, and it really has become a place where people express some very personal stories about their lives, their aspirations, hopes, dreams. Well, on December 19th, Libby Chamberlain announced to the group that she had signed a Pantsuit Nation book deal. And she immediately faced uh, a pretty severe backlash from some members of the, of the group who accused her of profiteering off of their stories. And indeed, the book deal raised a number of legal questions. For example, could Chamberlain actually use the group to sign a book deal? Uh, and there were also a number of ethical questions, which in a nutshell came down to should she do it, even if she can? So on the legal side first, you know, I spoke to a number of lawyers about this, and they all agreed that Chamberlain is perfectly within her rights to make a book out of 
out of the group that she's founded. There's nothing in Facebook's terms that prevent her from doing this. And she stated that she will get legal releases for any story she includes from the Pantsuit Nation group on Facebook. So participation is strictly voluntary, even though, uh, again, all the lawyers I spoke to agreed she'd have a pretty strong fair use case for using at least portions of some of those stories posted to the group without permission if she wanted to. But of course, that's not exactly a, a good strategy going forward to build your project on fair use. But ethically, the conversation was a little more fraught because, you know, people did not post to this site, to the Pantsu Nation group, that is, expecting that there would be a commercial deal to this. Now, Chamber since explained that the money earned is going to go to support nonprofit endeavors and groups that she is setting up, including Pantsuit Nation itself. But she clearly goofed, I think, in how she communicated her plans with the group. And the backlash that she got was, I think she earned it. We'll put it that way. That said, this is nothing that she can't fix. Uh, Flatiron Books, who signed up the book, says it plans to bring the book out in May. And to my mind, I think with a little work and a little, you know, remedial smoothing with uh, members of her group, Chamberlain can repair a lot of any of the damage that she might have done from her sort of awkward announcement of the book deal. And I think she could potentially make Pantsuit Nation a more effective group. Uh, you know, one source pointed out to me when I was talking with uh, them about this book deal that, you know, Move On started in much the same way. It started out sort of as a, as a side thing, and then it became a very potent political group. And on the other hand, Occupy Wall Street did not progress in that way. So I think it's going to be something to watch as 2017 goes on, how the Pantsuit Nation book deal goes for Flatiron and also how it evolves as a political action group. Well, indeed. And obviously, we live very much a, a divided nation. So Pantsuit Nation uh, might kind of fall into the blue state category. And there's another story that's uh, much more a red state story. And that's the Hutter issue of a book signed by Internet provocateur and Breitbart writer Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, who has a deal with Simon & Schuster's Threshold Editions that's caused quite a stir. And tell us where that all stands. Yeah. So you can read all about that on the PW site, too. Uh, it's it's certainly sparked a backlash. And, you know, first of all, I'm not really going to spend any time talking about Milo uh, Yiannopoulos because, you know, speaking only for myself, I think that he's kind of the worst troll. He's the worst kind of troll uh, who really adds nothing positive to our political discourse. For me, what I would address is the reaction to Simon & Schuster's decision to publish him and to give him a $250,000 book deal. Uh, we, of course, have not verified that it's a $250,000 book deal, but that's the amount that's been reported. Uh, you can read all about it on the PW site, but you know, long story short, there have been calls to boycott Simon & Schuster, and the Chicago Review of Books has reportedly even proposed not to review any Simon & Schuster books for 2017. So, again, speaking personally, my reaction is that Okay, strong reactions are justified in this case, but I think boycotts are probably unwarranted. You know, I believe the best way to confront uh, such aberrant ideas, as Mr. Yiannopoulos has often put forth, is to show them the light of day and to simply outshine them. Now, for indie booksellers who don't want to stock the book, support that too. It's certainly your right not to. Uh, but why anyone would take this out on Simon & Schuster and all of Simon & Schuster, Schuster's authors, uh, I think that, that crosses a line for me because as a publisher, they're really doing their job and we really should support publishers and free speech even when it makes us uncomfortable. I'd point out that such bans and calls for action also only really prove to be greater publicity. <laughs> so, you know, if we, if we want to really hit Mr. Yiannopoulos where it hurts, just 
don't buy the book and don't talk about it, frankly. Uh, but more to the point, I would urge people not to take the bait here, uh, to take a really a good look at what is happening in the country with our government overall, because the man who hired and made uh, Yiannopoulos a star at Breitbart, Stephen Bannon, is now just steps away from the Oval Office. Let that sink in for a second. You know, Let's look really at who our president is now, what he's tweeting and advocating. And those that are enraged by uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, all that energy really, I think, is going to be needed in higher places rather than getting down in the mud uh, with Milo and uh, you know, a, provo- a provocateur that he is. And I can't stress enough that these are my personal views, uh, but I would say, please, you know, don't ban the book. Don't boycott the publisher. Just beat it. Just get out there and you know, beat it. Just be better than it. So uh, on the SNS site, the release says that the book is now set for March 14, 2017. And the book is now advertised. You can read about what it's purportedly going to be about on the Simon & Schuster website. Uh, but something tells me that by March 14th, we're going to have a few bigger battles underway. And I would urge people to focus their attentions on those. All right, then. Publishers Weekly senior writer and freelance culture war correspondent, Andrew <laughs> Albanese. Uh, thanks for joining us again on Beyond the Book. Talk to you next Friday. My pleasure, as always. In 2016, our weekly program heard from publishers and authors across several continents. Out of those interviews emerged a familiar picture of problems and promise in the face of digital disruption. Translation, as Salman Rushdie has noted, has its roots in the Latin for bearing a cross. Books and other works in translation are the reader's tickets to other nations and cultures. To learn more about the potential and the power of translation in the Indian publishing market, I called in to New Delhi, where I spoke with Prashasti Rostogi, director of the German book office. Well, Christopher, the moment we say translation in India, it's suddenly music to my ears because that's one issue that I passionately feel for as well. But when we speak about the potential of translation, the potential is huge because there's a huge ardent, stable readership in Indian languages, which on the global stage might not be so visible. And Partially, it is also due to the, um, I mean, the historical stem that we have. And every time the flow of original works of fiction in English is more prominent on the global stage. But um, as far as translations are concerned, there's a huge readership there. There's a huge potential. The power of translation and much more next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Jeremy Brisky is our engineer and co-producer. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 